you are a blabbermouth! Tembe Kesher im Podcast License to Talk. Toda raba! It's as good a time to ask as any, I suppose. Are we family or what? You want some sexy? You want to laugh? License to Talk. License to Talk is brought to you by Charlie's Boatyard, 1111 Furman Boulevard. They're open. They got margaritas to go. They got everything covered for you. Get down to Charlie's Boatyard. First in Buffalo, 391 Abbott Road. Firemen owned and operated. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram. First in Buffalo. Get your custom gear. And our buddy Dan Callahan's coming back. Bob's Barber Shop. They're going to unpause the rain delay. The tarp is off. Bob's going to be taking care of you. And so is Dan Callahan. Check them out. Get your chair conversations ready. Goodspeed Beverage Center. 2202 Seneca Street. Get your cold brew. Family owned and operated at Goodspeed's Beverage Center. Bottle Rocket Beer Reserve. Check out The Rocket. Look for great local and award-winning brews, including 42 North. They are stocked and ready to rock. Bring the atmosphere of The Rocket home with you for a limited time, because they will be back. You gotta see the action there on Sunday Street. Dog Ears Bookstore and Cafe. Up there on Abbott Road. Don't get your coffee from Timmy when you can get it from Tommy. Stop into the cafe. They still got books going. We still want you people to read. Check them out. Dog Ears Bookstore. A great local nonprofit. Stop in and see Tommy and support your uh, local shops. Final Vibes Buffalo. Get your custom stickers. That's where we get them from. Check them out on Instagram. Final Vibes Buffalo. All right, Marky, here we are. <coughs> We're joined by, he's worked in every branch of entertainment, the very talented <laughs> Billy Gardell. How are you, Billy? Hey guys, how are you? And for those of you listening that don't know my name, I was on Mike and Molly. I played uh, Molly, and, uh, and now I'm on a show called Bob Hart's Abishola. I've been very, very lucky. Yeah, it's a great show. I love it. Thanks, man. It, it's uh, but both shows uh, had one thing in common, and that is uh, you know great writing and a great cast. So I've been I've been lucky to step into that again. Of course, Mike and Molly is. Uh, probably the most special time ever in my career because you know that's the one that kind of puts you over the top you know oh yeah and you worked with salt buffalo owns louis mistello on that show that's my man dude i i hit it off with him i i think about 35 seconds after i met him you know <laughs> it was because you know I'm, I'm from pittsburgh and you know i i understand the same we're from the same kind of dirt south buffalo is a lot like pittsburgh and and uh you know, he just, he had a great way about him and, and you knew there was going to be no bullshit. You know, he was going to be who he was all the time. You don't have to worry about Lou being somebody different. And that's, that's a gift in your friendship. You know what I mean? Yeah. He doesn't have much of a filter. <laughs> no, uh, but what my favorite thing is his obsessive craziness. <laughs> you know, he came, I remember one year before Thanksgiving, he came in, he wanted to buy a turkey. Lou's always talking about cooking. I got to do this. I'm going to, I got to get some, I'm going to get some bullion. <laughs> like, all right, all right, man. So we're trying to do the show and he, he bought a turkey the day before. And it was like, I don't know, it was like a dollar to a pound or something like that. And, you know, because the neighborhood guys, it doesn't matter if you're successful and you start making a good paycheck. When you grow up, 
not having a lot, you, you, know, you still remember and notice all those things. I, I still, to this day, you know, like I'll, I'll use a razor. I'll use a razor on my shaver until it peels the first layer of skin off. <laughs> and, and my wife will go, you know, we've done very well. You've done well. You can use another razor. You can use the second one in the pack. But this, this, this applied to Louie because I remember before Thanksgiving, he came in and he was talking about this turkey he bought for a buck to a pound. And then the next day in the paper, it was on sale for 79 cents. And he was perplexed. He was perplexed. <laughs> about how he could return that turkey so that he could get the 79 cents a pound deal. Or if he thinks if he went down with his receipt, could he show them the ad and that he bought his turkey 12 hours earlier? Could they <laughs> refund it so he could get the turkey at 79 cents a pop? And he must have spoke to me about that for five hours. <laughs> I got to tell you, I mean, it's 79 cents. I mean, I was in there last night. I was in there last night. I mean, they got to let that go, right? <laughs> Just want to run through a door. Oh, yeah. And that, that brings up great chemistry with you guys on the air to uh, your off-screen uh, relationship, I would think, right? 100%. It got stronger and stronger and stronger. And, and, and like I said, Lou became a real friend. You know, you meet a lot of people at your work, you know, no matter what work you do and you, you kind of get along with them. But, but Louie and me really became great friends. And, you know, my kid <clears throat> early back then, he was about, I guess he was about seven or eight. And uh, we were coming to New York city. We wanted to see New York city uh, the week before Christmas because the city's all lit up and the snow. And, the, you know, we wanted to go do that one time. So Lou, uh, he just kills me, man. Like we got to the hotel and there was a box there and he had, he had written, he put this little box together for my son and, and he had written on there to will, which is my son's name. And, and he said, uh, from the mayor. <laughs> and so, so he had, he had, he had written will a letter as if he was the mayor of New York, welcoming him to New York. And he had a, got him a snow cap and a, and a, and a, a New York sweatshirt and and a scarf and then uh like a cd of christmas music and then lou took us on a tour of the city he he is one of the most knowledgeable human beings about new york city that i've ever met and like if, if his acting career ever went away he could literally do tours of new york city he knows everything that happened in that city where when time states he can walk you through the village and talk to you about washington and these guys getting ready for the American Revolution, or he can show you where Bob Dylan threw up after a gig in an alley. <laughs> like he knows, he just knows it all, man. And he, he was so welcoming to us and, and, and walked us through the city like that, man. It's just, so every year, time we went back to New York, and we went once a year for a while, we would just say, Luke, what's the tour? And he would put it together, man, and we'd tour a different part of the city every time we're up there. But in the, even in between all of that, Louie has <clears throat> a little place out here as well. And his backyard is, I, I don't, it's, 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 it's as if Santa Claus and Salvador Dali collided and exploded. <laughs> There's Christmas lights and tchotchkes and table. And you know, Lou's the you know, Hall of Fame bartender. So he literally has a tiki bar out back and it's all that stuff. And he would just do, you know, we would just hang in his backyard, man. And, and, and we really got to be dear friends and we still are, you know, I, I treasure his friendship. I really do. And, uh, and it was cool, man. And, and Lou and I, you know, we're both working class, you know, roots. So we would like, 
you know, he would have the, the camera guys over to his house and then there'd be a cookout. And you know what I mean? Like we would, we really had a, 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 a bond through that, that, you know, that, that old school blue collar thing where, you, you know, you, you treat everybody the same way from the president of Warner brothers to the craft service guy, to the janitor, you talk to everybody with the same amount of respect. And him and I lined up on that immediately. Oh, that's the way we were brought up too. It, it's just great to see people still acting like that in the, the blue collar you talk about blue collar. You're a Pittsburgh guy, Pittsburgh mm-hmm. football, just like us with the Bills. That yep. had to have been a little bond with you and Lou too. And Lou will go off on the Super Bowls. We talk to him, and he thinks there's a helicopter that <laughs> that that made the wind take yeah. Norwood's no, field goal. I, I, I've heard this particular grassy knoll theory from him a couple times. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they were shooting the game. They got too low. Boom. Yeah, and he's got know, the other one with Harry Connick Jr. <laughs> stole Thur- his tuba player, stole Thurman Thomas's helmet. He's great, isn't he? He's the best, man. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and it's fun because, like, we, we pal around, you know, when, whenever he's out here or we go to New York, we, we hang around, man. Like, and it's just been, you know, the great thing for us is we're both bananas, so we can kind of keep each other calm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> but the but the gift is our wives really like each other. So as as everyone knows, if your wife don't like the other wife, well, you know, it was nice talking with you, but <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's going to work out. But our wives really, really sync up. Probably, you know, they have therapy about living with us, but. <laughs> The the gift is, man, we all get along, and, and so everybody benefits from that. And it, it's just – it's a lovely friendship. He's been a dear friend, man. And there were times with Mike and Molly, you know, that, that was my first lead role. And, you know, man, uh, you know, that's a lot of responsibility right out of the gate. And Lou was, Lou was very mentoring to me, man. He really helped me a lot. And uh, between him and the woman who played my mother, Rondi Reed, um, uh, those two – really helped me become a better actor you know because i could sit and talk with them about you know just not not to sound artsy artsy but but to talk about techniques and how you get there and just professionalism that's that was the thing about lou and ronnie just really really professional you know took it seriously wasn't you know they weren't you know those aren't the kind of people that are texting on their phone before you yell action like they're into the actual work and and being around that was very good for me man it was very good for me. And then you both, you guys talk to each other, and then you realize that del- that dialect that we have, and you guys have, to, I, we're very noticeable. Sorry, give us yeah, some you old. Guys, you, you, okay, you guys have the hard R. You're like, I gotta go to the bar. My ma. <laughs> I'm gonna go over there, and I'm gonna talk to my ma. I'm gonna go up to the lake. <laughs> we in Pittsburgh, we got the big round O's, so we're like, you're just gonna go down there in about an hour. I'll go down there and have a pop or two with you. So if we, if Lou and I both turned our dialects up to 10, we would have to have subtitles in our acting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You guys throw R's in. You have a great bit where you're like, you know, if this thing makes you big and famous, don't become a jag off. Don't become a jag off. That's, that's, that's local to our part of the country, man. I love that. That, Oh, I'll tell you too, uh, Lou, um, Lou would always, uh, one of the things that, that is very, uh, from you know, I think it's a Northeast thing. Is 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 the 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 triggering of comedy, and the way that we wear you down with the same joke. And Lou and I could just push each other to a nervous breakdown if we wanted to. It's it's, it's one of those ones where you like we we would call it. You know, we would always joke. You go, I'm going to push you over to falls on this one, because you know it's like it's like when you get on something 
and then it's funny and then you do it again and it's funny and you say it again and it's funny and then it starts to get a little annoying and then it gets angering and then you can't stand hearing it and then somehow it becomes funny again (laughs) we just ride each other into the ground on those you know yeah and we talked about football we also have something in common we all three of us here i think hate tom brady and oh god you know i all i'm praying for dude i i I root against brady so badly that i was excited that he lost that golf match to peyton man that's (laughs) absolutely that's that's how happy i was like that made my sunday that he lost something that day and then he Um, split his pants too even better i wish they would have had that on camera that could have been a good meme but uh i'm i'm hoping he goes down to tampa and it's just a train wreck I know that's awful, but I am. <laughs> I always say that in Buffalo, in Buffalo, we have like this Stockholm syndrome. It's like he kept us in the basement and was jabbing us for years, and now he left, and we're like, he was so great. He's not that bad. Yeah, yeah, right. It's so funny, man. It's we, you, you can't deny what the guy's done. I mean, and he owned the Steelers for so long. That's my disdain with him. He just owned us, man. Owned us, and uh, I can't imagine seeing him every year twice a year in the division every year twice a year like what a pain in the ass that do, had to do you know what we do to him up here no what do you do they throw dildos at him on the field no it's no, happened four or five, it's happened four or five times look it up bill i swear to god <laughs> so we see well, I, guess, I guess if you do a suicide bomb into a table throwing a dildo <laughs> is just the next product that's the next projection yeah. right that's they did That's a next level, I guess. Right? I mean, these these kids that started it were like local heroes. There's people sneaking dildos. I mean, we just, me and Marky just sneak beers into into the stadium. But some guys just well, that that's a that's a sign of maturity. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. a sign of maturity. When you yeah, you go ahead and carry that. I'm gonna load up these forties in my pants. <laughs> Talk to our listeners about the pilots. When you got with Mike and Molly, there was a bunch of pilot shows, and uh, in my research, I've seen like. Was Mike and Molly like one of the last ones on the bill for those that pilot season? You know, I don't know where we landed in uh, progression. Every year there's pilot season, and each network picks about, I don't know, they pick 10, maybe 7 to 10 shows that they think are going to be hits, and, and they do that based on scripts, and then they shoot a pilot show. So then you're in the mix with probably, you know, seven or eight shows competing for one or two time slots. And so your show gets put in that pile and then all these shows go out and they, they test them in front of random audiences. And, you know, based on, you know, the highest test score, likability, what the network thinks of it, does it fit the network schedule? Where can they put it? Do they think they can promote it? All those weird things have to fall into place. And if they choose your pilot, then you get an air date. And if you get an air date, that usually means they're going to give you six episodes. And if you do, if you're doing okay in six, you get 12. If you're doing good in 12, uh, you get to 22, and you hopefully get to that second year. I, I think Mike and Molly came in – I think we came in towards towards the back end of that season because we were we were late coming in, but uh, the, the show was pretty undeniable. The pilot episode of Mike and Molly, um, it was just – I'd never been on a show like that because it just felt like we'd been doing it for three years. You know what I mean? It just felt like, and actually one of my favorite all-time scenes in Mike and Molly was me, Lou, and Reno. And, and we had to go get Vince's character. Um, she, was, uh, she was an older lady he had married, <laughs> and he had to get a divorce. And we had to go talk her into giving him a divorce. 
And that might have been one of the funny. Lou had a line that was so funny, and she she yells at him. She goes, "You stole my youth," and Lou goes, "The guy that stole your youth had a powdered wig." <laughs> and we, we 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 just couldn't keep it together. But but it, it all leads. It, the pilot kind of grows that 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 chemistry. And I got to tell you, the pilot of Mike and Molly, we it it was there like we'd been doing it for years. I've never been a part of anything like that. I've nothing like that before since has felt like that. And as a comic, that's the carrot that you got to get to that sitcom. You know, everybody's seen Seinfeld and everything. Get there. That's the carrot for a stand-up. You go back. Sorry, that's my agent calling to tell me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, what were you saying? I apologize. Go ahead. The carrot is the sitcom for a young comic. And you started comedy back in 1987 in Florida. And I, in the beginning, I said you worked at every branch of entertainment literally you were doing everything when you started out in stand-up weren't you well it was a different time back then to start too i mean comedy was it was, it was 1987 so comedy was really starting to it was peaking you know and so it was everywhere man every nightclub had a had an open mic night every 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 club or or or, or even uh like dance club or whatever had two nights where they did comedy and then there were all the mom and pop comedy clubs all over the country <clears throat> so I was very fortunate, man. When I started, there was a lot of places to get up. Some of them, I don't know that I would ever frequent again, but there were a lot of opportunities to, to come back. And what I mean by that is like you could, you know, there were, I started in Florida, so there were honky tonks and biker bars and, and uh, you know, um, like just, just wild venues where you would go up and try to do stand-up comedy along with some real comedy clubs. But it was peaking at that time, so it was – it was pretty amazing to be a part of that. And because of it, we got a, a, a lot of opportunities to get on stage. Like my open mic night, <clears throat> the, the guys in my open mic night were me. Uh, Larry, the cable guy was around back then. He was Dan Whitney back then and still a brilliant comic. I mean, he, he used to be a really fast one-liner guy. Um, and then uh, let's see, uh, Wayne Brady, Carrot Top, Daryl Hammond. Uh, you know, and wow. Jim, Bre Jim Brewer was right down the street in, in St. Petersburg. And so we, and we had, you know, Ron Bennington, who was a oh, he brilliant. Was, he, he, Bennington was already, he was a guy that like comics were like, wow, man, that guy's great. Like he was already a headliner and he had a radio show and he had his own comedy club. And, but I mean the, the Florida, like Florida had Tom Rhodes was the, was the guy in Orlando that we were like, man, let's, we, we want to be like that guy, you know, cause he was a great word guy and a great performer. So, so like Orlando and St. Pete and West Palm had this like triangle of comics that all did pretty well, man. And then I remember, you know, at any given week, you know, there'd be a Wednesday open mic night, everybody'd be there. And then we'd all go to Denny's and sit around trying to help each other's act or trade lines or figure out a line. And it was, it was a real great time to be a comedian. That's an all-star cast. With yeah. And we were circuit. all just, and we were just all broke lunatics going, how are we ever going to pay the rent doing this? You know, Marky worked at uh Shays here in Buffalo, a beautiful theater. And he actually had to take Larry, the cable guy around. Yeah. Well, no, I had to do his runner. <laughs> And, uh, you had to do his what? His runner, like what he wanted when he came into town. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and his like, writer. yeah, yeah. And I, uh, when uh, he came the first time, it was like all fried chicken and stuff. And then the next year, it was like <laughs> it was like fresh fruit. I was like, did his doctor be like, you're not going to spend all this money if you don't eat like this? 
Well, I think if you if you grow up eating in the the Midwest or the South, at some point the doctor intervenes. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, we're we're from that. You know, I I used to do a joke in, in uh, my act. I say I go, you know. If people in Pittsburgh think a salad is what you put on a hamburger, we don't know. <laughs> we're just we're just fry everything. We're deep fry turkeys. We don't care uh-huh. anything we can fry. So at some point, you know, the doctor steps in and goes, "Hey, uh, how about a cucumber? Maybe an apple? <laughs> what do you think? What's just on? Break it up. What's... How about breaking it up? Have you ever heard of water? Have you ever heard of water? <laughs> What's on your rider? Kind of t- curls my toes. <laughs> you know, actually, man, I I'm pretty easy, man. I, I what I order is. Um, I order when I get to like a theater or a casino, I always have, uh, I need a fresh pot of coffee because I'm a coffee junkie, a fresh pot of coffee, some bottled water, some sodas. And then I always order uh, a sandwich tray like for 15, 20 people. And then me and my buddy, Joey O'Connell, who's my opening act also, we, we, we will do the gig, uh, you know, him or my buddy, Ben Creed, who actually taught me how to do it, but we'll, we'll eat a couple sandwiches, but then we give them to the crew. We leave nice. them for the crew. Nice. Yeah. Blue collar. That's our deal. Yeah, buddy. That's what I always say. Give, give the boys the sandwiches, give them some, you know what I mean? Let them take a couple of those home. And anytime I can get, get a corporation to pay the working guys or give the working guys a perk, I try to pull it off, you know? Nice. Yeah, Seinfeld. His was uh, a toothbrush in like a auto trader magazine or something. <laughs> he wasn't giving anything back to the boys. <laughs> well, about- I just, I, I just think it's a nice nod. Like, and oh, and I'll, I'll order a dessert tray too, cookies, because I figured they're getting sandwiches. They should have a little cookie afterwards too. <laughs> so, what was the big you break? Need, need a little something sweet. A little something sweet. What What's was that? the big break in comedy? Like, what was the first time you had to make a writer or anything? You know. You know, man, I don't. I don't know. I'm not a pain in the ass. I don't have a, I don't have an entourage. I, I drive my own rental car. I don't, you know, I still keep things pretty, pretty normal for myself, man. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have this beautiful job, you know, where I get to be an actor, but you know, it just, it fuels my life. It, it pays for my life. It's oh, yeah. not, it, it's not my life. Do you know what I mean by yeah, that? Like yeah. I, I, I love acting, but I love coming home to my wife and kid, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a real homebody that way. And, I'm a family guy and I like being that I really I'm honored that I got a chance to do that. You know, my kid turned 17 yesterday. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you, man. I'm just so proud of me. He's just such a good kid. So I think it skips a generation. I talk to Lou about that all the time because like at his age, I was a little nightmare. You know, I was always in trouble at 17, always in trouble. This kid just, he does it right. He's a good kid and I'm rooting for him. And, and, And today these kids, you know, they got a lot ahead of them, man. They got a lot ahead of them, so I really root hard for them. Well, I'm a new father, and Mar- Marky Marky has a little girl. Do you have any father advice for us, Billy? Because you're you're what do you, what do you got? What do you got, boy or girl? I got a boy, a young I got, boy. I got a girl. And how? Okay, how old is he? He's six months. Six months. Oh, brand new, out of the oven. You're yeah. Good. This is this is the best time in the world, man. And and your little girl is how old? Uh, she's seven. Seven. All right. Well, you, the little girl is going to be easier because, <laughs> because little girls walk by things and they go, Oh, that's pretty. Little boys walk by things and go, I wonder what's inside that. <laughs> and therein lies the difference. But man, my, my best thing is, you know, honor who they are. And, and, you know, there's not a day. Look, my, my old man, I love my old man. He was my hero, you know, but he, he didn't know how to say, I love you every day. You know what I mean? 
it was just a different generation, but I knew he loved me. You know what I mean? Me and my dad were, I talked to him every day uh, for 20 years. You know what I mean? Just every day. He was my greatest inspiration. He was the guy who told me never to quit. He was the guy who told me you can do this, you know. My dad had a great blue collar sense of humor that I, my wife always says, you just stole your father's act. She goes, that's the <laughs> truth of it. She goes, you're just a hack version of your father. And I said, thank you, honey. That's great. Um, but, but one of the gifts he gave me was our connection, man. And then we get to do that in our way. And, and I think the words, I love you are very powerful, man. And, you know, I, I, there's not a day in my son's life where I haven't told him I love him. And, and that's what I would say, man, tell your kids you love them every day. The world is going to give them what they give them to endure. <clears throat> so the idea is you just want to make them secure in themselves so that they can, you know, that they can, they can crash those waves, you know? And, and the other thing I would say is, you know, don't spend the whole time lecturing. It's, 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 I think as a parent, it's a, it's a trap and a routine we fall into where we're just like, you need to do this and you sure you're doing that. And you do need, make sure you spend the time with them where you just, you're just connected with them because then they can hear it when you need them to lecture. So that's all I got for you. Yeah, that's great advice, yeah, Billy. Buffalo is a place where, you know, we use terms of endearment lightly. We we say, we tell everybody we love them, and we buy them lottery tickets for uh, birthday gifts. We're <laughs> hey, like, listen, we love dude. you so much that, you know, we wish you'd win this 20 grand. <laughs> <laughs> There's, hey, listen, I've never turned down a scratch off in 50 years, so <laughs> you I'm all fine with that. I, I like turned 30. <laughs> I think I turned 30 when you were, your face was on a a, a lottery ticket. <laughs> I was, I was, I think yeah. I was for a little while. I know. Like, I got like a million of them. <laughs> yeah. It was like a game show that we did the Monopoly Millionaires Club and they made me a lottery ticket. And I didn't get any of that money. God. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about the, uh, you know, your father being a big influence on you. And it, yeah. that's a lot around here. I went back and you got to be a big Gleason guy. Oh, man, absolutely. My dad turned me on to, again, my dad, man. My dad's the reason that, you know, my dad had all these great albums when we were when I was <clears throat> little. You know, he had George Carlin and Richard Pryor and Bob oh. Newhart. And he just had a great comedy collection, a great taste in comedy. And I remember we weren't supposed to listen to the Carlin or Pryor records, man. And, and as soon as he would go to bed, you know, we'd go down there and turn the stereo down real low and put those records on and listen to them. And, you know, he really he really hooked me on it. But I also watched my father with like people around town and he always made people laugh, man. And I thought, what, that's so endearing. That's such a cool thing to be able to make people laugh that, that I think that's where it sparked. Right. And then, um, and then, you know, just, just being around, being around people that know how to make you laugh and can maybe even sometimes tell you a hard truth, but in a funny way, it makes it go down a little easier and, you, and you're a little more receptive to it. And I saw that as a great gift, but my dad was a huge uh, honeymooners fan. So we would watch those on a loop. And, and as a little chubby kid, I'm looking at the TV and I'm like, okay, well, I want to be that there, right oh, there, yeah. right there. He, you know, that guy looks like me. I want to be that loud and that funny. And so he was always, I was always a big fan. And then as I got older, I saw, you know, the great acting he could do. I mean, you know, the, the turn he made in the hustler with Paul Newman was unbelievable. He did a silent movie called Jiju. And, and then one of the last movies he did with Tom Hanks, uh, nothing in common. I mean, Gleason just had a genuineness to him that came across no matter what he was playing. And that's kind of what I shot for. The other guy I liked a lot was John Goodman. 
was like, I got in, got into teenage years, you know, like like early twenties. I was like, I, you know, I saw Goodman and Raising Arizona, and I was like, man, that's the kind of stuff I want to do. Uh, and then I look at Gleason. I always thought you were ta- taller. You guys are very similar in height. You could. You I could think. I, I, play him. Well, how, t- how tall was Gleason? Five. I don't ten. even know. Five ten. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually six. I'm six okay. feet. But I slouch a little too, so I'm probably five <laughs> eleven. Because I got that. I got that fifty year old. You know, you get a gut when you're fifty from the from from our part of the country. You just start to grab it. Your head starts to gravitate <laughs> towards the floor. I, I always tell Lou, I go, my head gets in the room two minutes before I do, just because I'm bent <laughs> over as I'm walking. But yeah, he. I what a what a, what a treat it would be to play him at one point. Oh, I'd love uh, to see that. He's a powerhouse, no doubt about it. But uh, the thing about him that I loved and what I try to have in common is he could be really loud and funny, but then he could be so genuine and endearing. And that's then that's what made that show great was the baby, you're the greatest. Otherwise, oh. all that uh, otherwise all that other stuff is just noise. So the fact he could do that, I just thought, man, that that's something to shoot for. You Louis, know, Louis told me you were a, a Gleason fan, and he is as well. I went down a wormhole. Of Jackie Gleason <laughs> in the past three days, I even ended up watching a video. Did you know Gleason in his later days, he just got paid to play golf with people, and it cost oh absolutely it got it cost more to play golf with him than to join the country club, and, <laughs> and there was a line to play with the great one. Yeah, you know his uh, his house in Miami was up for sale about two or three years ago, cool. and uh, you would have to literally. <clears throat> I mean, it's got you know. It's got the shag carpet and the <laughs> terrible wallpaper and stuff. And, you know, I, 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 I was like, I told my wife, I go, let's just go buy that and live there. And she's like, <laughs> no, we're never doing that. Never. How about never? But, uh, yeah, he, he really, when he went back down to Miami, yeah, he, he did. He, he tried that uh, variety show that was just terrible. Mm-hmm. And he, he has the, the variety show was okay, but they did a game show that was such a nightmare that the next episode, episode two, <laughs> Episode one went so badly, and I think you can look it up on on YouTube. But episode two, he literally just came out and sat in the chair with a scotch and a cigarette and apologized to the audience for twenty minutes, <laughs> talking about how bad the previous show was, and that was the broadcast. But um, but yeah, he did end up in his later days. Like people just wanted to play, they wanted to play golf with him, and they wanted to play pool with him because Gleason was a very accomplished uh, pool player too. Oh yeah. Like he could hang, he could hang with the bigs. Like he could hang with Willie Moscone and fast that he felt like he could, he could legitimately shoot stick. He lived the role. I mean, he yeah. really did. He had, he, yep. I think he almost had to, didn't he Billy? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, he came up real hard in Brooklyn, man. You know, his, you know, his father was an alcoholic and you know, he did, his mother was a drinker and you know, he didn't come up in any easy route, you know, to, to come out of that. And I think that has to do a lot with humor too. You kind of learn humor as, you know, as a defense mechanism because you get tired of crying. You know what I mean? So you kind of, you kind of learn to, 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 that once that sarcasm develops, you kind of learn that it can also be a tool for getting through times when they're a little tough, you know? Oh, absolutely. And you, you look at your opening, you, you open for some big guns in your day. Yeah. I've been very, very lucky. I got to open for Carlin once. Um, I got to open for uh, Dennis Miller, and uh, although I, his and I, our ideologies don't line up anymore. But I, I was going to um, ask you, you, you were, no, you this were was out back of... in the 
this was more the Saturday Night Live time. I, did, okay. I didn't open for him. I was actually on his show, but he was very kind with me, and I had yeah. nothing bad to say. No. And, um, and uh, let's see, I got to open for Dice. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I really got to open for some heavyweight hitters at the time. You know, You're, I was very fortunate. How does that get you ready for later on in life when you're the guy? <clears throat> Excuse me. I think you just, I, I, I just, I think just working and seeing uh, performers at that level is good for you. We used to go and watch guys too, because you want to, you see, you see the level it can get to. Like I remember being in 11th grade and going and seeing Sam Kinison at the Bob Carr auditorium in Orlando and, and like, wow, man, this energy. And then he came to the comedy club later that night. You know what I mean? So that, so it was, it was just it was this time of uh, where where stand up was just so prevalent. It was it was crazy. And now you see guys get uh, Rogan talks about it all the time. Getting inspired by seeing guys like Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle. Does that still? Does that yes, work? I, I I absolutely think yeah. There's no you know some some guys are like oh that guy this guy that guy. That's just insecurity, right? When you see someone great at their craft, man, that is to be admired and watched and, and to be enjoyed. You know, Chris Rock is probably one of the best in the last 20 years to pick up a microphone. I mean, he's a, he's a monster. And, you know, and, and guys like Bill Burr, and, and I mean, they're, they're just doing it at another level. Chappelle, they're do it's another level. I've always been really good, but I was always one molecule off from being great. <laughs> I, I just was, but I know that about myself, and I'm comfortable with it. But those guys have that extra something special, man, where they're able to they're able to be funny about anything, about anything. Like they literally, I, I think guys like that can turn anything funny, and that's a skill, man. That's a skill set. That's a mad skill set, you know. And you also have to be fearless, you know. You know, I get nervous. I, I talk about, you know, my family and I talk about myself and, but that's where I'm at. That's who I am. You yeah. know what I mean? Those guys are still there and they, and they have some of that stuff in there too, but they're also very, uh, what's the word relevant. They're very relevant. You know, yeah. I always felt kind of like a ham and egger, but I'm okay with that too. You know, that's just what I do. I think but, it's but great. I, I, I think seeing those guys though, man, I think they inspire you, man. I, I think, Great comics inspire you to be as good a comic as you can be. And I think it's important to watch that. I think the mistake is to pretend like you know how to do it when you don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, which is, which applies to everything in life. My father used to always say, like, don't talk shit. If you don't know, say you don't know. <laughs> you know. Those are simple rules that we seem to have forgotten, you know? Yeah. The guy that I see doing it really well right now is Mark Norman. And it's, it's it's just wild when you see somebody that's just doing it so good. You just see, yeah, you you watch guys and then you see like they take a they it's like some kind of they hit an accelerator pad or something and they just take off and you're like, wow, man, that is something to behold, you know. Plus, stand up comedy is such a, it's such a, I think it's the hardest job in show business, man. I mean, it's just you and there's a microphone and there's a room full of people. Yeah. Have you ever tried to keep someone's attention for three minutes? Oh, my God. Legitimately. Yeah. Nowadays, right? geez. We've both been up on stage, and <laughs> it's tough. So, you know, so can you imagine, man, you know, these guys that can go in 4,000, 5,000 people, and keep, keep them roaring for an hour and a half or an hour and 15? Yeah. Man, that's, 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 that's a level to shoot for, you know? Yeah, you just see Tom Brady. He, when he's on his own, he shits the bed. 
rips his <laughs> pants. You know, he doesn't have his whole squad behind him. I don't know how you tied that back to that, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, love for stand up, but the love for music comes out one of your roles. You played the Colonel. Elvis I did. I, you know, I was so happy, man. I did an eight-hour miniseries on CMT called Sun Records, which was about the beginning of Sun Records in Memphis with Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, and Johnny Cash, uh, the Million Dollar Quartet. And, uh, and I got to play Colonel Tom Parker, which was a great joy for me because it was a serious acting role. I think it's the best acting I've done. Nobody saw it, which is a tragedy. Uh, it was, but it was on CMT and, you know, they loved it and they were like, they were all jazzed about it when they saw it and it got great reviews, but then I, they saw the price tag and what it takes to do something like that. And then they said, you know, we should probably go back to that show where people catch fish with their arm. <laughs> so, so, but it was a shame because it's the best work I've done. But the thing I love most about it was my dad was a huge, huge Elvis fan. I mean, when, oh, yeah. when Elvis died, like my dad didn't like the Beatles because he felt they, they dethroned Elvis. That's how much he loved Elvis. Like he couldn't stand the beat. Who doesn't like the Beatles? He doesn't <laughs> like the Beatles because they knocked Elvis off the throne. But um, when, when Elvis died, my dad called into work sick for three days. Like he's a serious, <laughs> serious Elvis fan. That's great. So the idea that I got to play the Colonel uh, was very cool for me and him. I would send him pictures from the set and, you know, tell him what we were doing. And, and he just loved it, man. And that was a fun role to play, man, because that guy was, uh, I, 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 the best way I could describe him is a charming douchebag. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the best way you can describe him because he was, he had to be charming to get away with the cons that he put on. And he was just always out. He was, you know, I, I talked to five or six people that knew him in Memphis. They gave us access to a lot of people when we were down there getting ready to do the show. And, uh, nobody had the same description of the guy. I talked to five different people and you would have thought they were talking about five different people. And what they gave me was this guy was, a, he was just whatever you needed him to be to get what he wanted. And that was the fun in playing him. I watched it this week, Billy. I thought it was great. And you know, a lot, Thanks, of, man. A lot of people don't understand that all those guys started out together. So yeah, well the Memphis music scene was, you know, they were trying really hard to, uh, you know, Sam, Sam was putting together this, this sound, this rock and roll sound. And, and, and it was a collaboration of, you know, gospel music from the South and, and the Delta blues and, and uh, rockabilly. So they were combining all those things to make this new thing called rock and roll. And, and, and Sam was great because he didn't care what you looked like, what the color of your skin was, but if you could come in and throw down, he was going to record you. Nice. And, 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 uh, and there's a, there's a DJ down there. Um, I think his name was Dewey Cox. Uh, is it Dewey? Dewey? God, I can't remember now. But Dewey, uh, who was uh, in our show as well, was the original guy that was putting Elvis on the air and putting B.B. Uh, King on the air and putting like this guy was out of way ahead of his time. And he was kind of the first rock and roll DJ, but of course, Alan Freed got the credit for mm -hmm. being the first. But the truth of the matter is that that came from Dewey and, and the radio station there in Memphis. And that was driven by Sun Records and then later Stax Records. Stax Records was more of a soul-driven uh, uh, recording studio. Aretha Franklin came out of there and many, many greats came out of there. So so there was this scene where, where literally the church, you know, gospel music, rockabilly, 
and blues all exploded and rock and roll kind of came out of Memphis. Yeah. Your playlist has got to be unbelievable preparing for that role just to get familiar with everybody. It was really fun, man. They sent us this, the, the, the executive producer sent us this book of, of Stax records and a book of uh, sun records. So you got to hear everything from, from soul to gospel, to blues, to, hillbilly to i mean it was just it's very it was eclectic it was just about making the music and they were doing this at a time where you know it was it was it was just you you would just take a chance like you would you would hope somebody would play play this record like you would record this thing and then you'd go try to hustle the djs to get it on the air you know so that you could possibly get a little notoriety and maybe get on a tour bus and a lot of them were one hit wonders and disappeared and then and then uh, the colonel saw elvis at this high school production i think it was it was called the hayride i think mm-hmm. and he started to talk to his his uh his family and and steal him away from uh sam over at sun records so that he could have him for himself it's got to be amazing going from stand up back into different camera angles like louis told us uh james gardner taught him about looking in the camera and where to look who was the right. guy that taught you to do this on the sets of these great shows that you were on you know, man, I've just been smart enough to ask smarter people than me how to, how to do it. It's, it's not a secret. That's a, again, it goes back to my old man. He's like, if you get to work, don't ask the guy that you got there with for advice. He doesn't know anything more than you do. Go find the old guy that looks like he's done 15 minutes early and is washing his hands. Ask him how to do it. So I always kind of applied that to people that I thought were talented with, that I was working with and asked them, hey, how do you do that? How do you do this? And so I've been fortunate enough to pick up an education as I've gone. I would say the guy that helped me the most in, uh, for the sitcom stuff was Jim Burroughs. You know, we had a, we had a, and I'm sure Louie told you, we had a legendary director for two years. I mean, Jim directed taxi and cheers and and friends and, and to have that kind of leadership and coaching your first year on the air. I think it made a huge difference, man. Like Jimmy would just know weird stuff too. Like he would say, he would like say the line and then drink your coffee. Don't drink your coffee and then say the line. You're like, what the <laughs> fuck is he talking about? And then you would do it and there'd be a bigger laugh. And you're like, how does he know that? How did he know? How did he possibly see that? But that's, you know, 35 years of television and comedy. And so you just learn to trust your coach. And the more you do that, the better you get. You got like Chuck Knoll is sitting there helping. I you did. Know? Literally. I, I mean, I have been around some Hall of Famers because between Jim Burroughs and Chuck Laurie, I mean, I've had. I've, I've been more blessed in television than, 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 than I deserve. You know what I mean? I'm, I've just been very, very, very lucky, very lucky to work with this man. Yeah. Garcia. Yes, dear. And uh, my name Greg is Garcia. Greg Garcia is one of my favorite human beings. And let me tell you, Greg Garcia is really, I'll tell you two stories about him. One, um, he gave me my first real gig, my a reoccurring gig on a show called yes, dear, which I just had a blast on. And that was really, that was so educational for what was coming for me later. And, and Greg Garcia is one of the, he's a brilliant writer and a great guy to work for. I like guys that are really successful, but really cool. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't want to work with any jag offs, but <laughs> you know, I've been very lucky, you know, sometimes you have to, but I, I gotta say, man, Greg was, he couldn't have been more uh, welcoming and, and he really, he, he just, he saw my stand up once and, and, you know, and then he told me, so I'm going to write a part for you to be the neighbor on yes, dear. And, and you hope that happens. You hear that a lot out here. Two weeks later, I got that call. And then I was on that show like every eight episodes for wow. the next four years. 
And it was a real education, but I'll tell you the kind of guy Greg Garcia is. One year, um, I had been coming in and out of uh, My Name is Earl. That was another show, Greg. Greg did Yes, Dear, My Name is Earl, Raising Hope. I mean, he's just a, a brilliant guy, and but a kind man. Like, I remember one year, you got you to gotta make so much money as an actor to qualify for your insurance out here. And I think I was like, I don't know, three grand short or something like that. And, uh, and um, I called him because I had, I think I had like a month left to make three grand. I needed an acting gig. Otherwise it doesn't count towards your insurance. And I just say, Hey man, listen, I'm not asking for any freebies. I just want to let you know, um, I'm, I'm trying to make insurance. There's no pressure, but if something opens up, I'm happy to do it. Just keep your eyes open for me. No expectations. And thank you. Literally a week later, he called me and he said, um, hey, man, I got a part for you. And it was literally he had jammed me into an episode and I literally walked into a room with a flashlight. And I think I said, he's not here. And he paid me my full wage, which put me over the top so I could have insurance for my family. And I had a young baby at that time. So that's the kind of stuff that, that you don't hear enough about out here because you know, without him, I wouldn't have had insurance that year with my kid. And, and I can, and I still talk to Greg, you know, a couple times a year. And, and, and I just will always have a debt of gratitude, not only for the job he gave me, but, but the moments like that, like Garcia's as solid as it gets. Yeah. Those were awesome shows. Really oh, su- su- super funny, man. Super funny. And it was so fun to work with. You know, he always, he, Greg has a great eye for great comedic talent. Like we, on Yes Dear, it was super fun to work with Mike O'Malley and Liza Snyder and yeah. Jeannie Louise Kelly and, you know, and, and uh, Anthony Clark. And then, and then Earl, I got to work with, you know, those two maniacs. They were just wonderful to be around, <laughs> you know. Ethan yeah. and Jason were just, the, they were super fun. And, and, and I think that's the vibe you have to have on a set to be really successful, man. You got you to, gotta, one, remember how lucky you are to be doing this. And number two, you know, when you're around people that aren't just ripping everything that you say to shit, then suddenly creativity has a space to grow. And then when that happens, it becomes a spontaneity. And then you kind of read each other. That's what happened with me and Louie, man. Me and Louie and Reno, we, those are the guys that I'm still dearest friends with and, and Rondi as well. And I, and I love the whole cast, but I talk to them all the time. And, and there was just an unspoken chemistry that we could finish each other's sentences or we just knew we knew how to let the other one get the big laugh and, and, and hold the reaction. So it made it twice as much. You know what I mean? We really oh, yeah. respected yeah. each the, the whole cast respected each other. But in those those scenes with the guys, man, it was just really easy to it was just really easy to trust. And Niambi Niambi too, he was part of that. You know, when we would do the diner scenes, like we just really trusted each other. And when you do that, you, there's a positivity that comes from that and makes it funnier and funnier and funnier, you know, but you have to be unafraid to, to, to let go and just really trust your scene partner like that. And I think the friendship doubled it up. I really do. And you, you talk about Mike and Molly, we're going to bring it uh, back to our, you have a going South shirt. I do. I, I got. We got it on the air. We got it yeah. on the air. Now Lou, that's that's another Lou. Lou would come to the. <clears throat> Lou would come in. I don't know why he was always wearing a suit jacket because he had, <laughs> he had like tan pants on, a suit jacket, and a Hawaiian shirt, and he would always have like some freezer bag that he got from a grocery store, and it would have a zipper. But he never had groceries in it. He just always had something. You know, it was either the coupon for the turkey or the horse track form or whatever. <laughs> 
I'm like, look, you've done good. You can buy a leather bag now. No, nah, no, nah, this works great. You got a zipper on the top. It's for freeze. Never mind. What do you want? So he came in and he had the, he had the going south. And by the way, I still got my I got uh, I still got three of my I got two sweatshirts and two T-shirts they sent me, which I love. So <clears throat> we had a big green one with the shamrock on it. And uh, and we didn't I didn't ask the. Uh, I didn't ask the producers. I just told wardrobe. I go, this is fine. Don't worry about it. I go, I'm just going to wear this for the living room scene. And nobody asked. And we were able to get that on the air for his buddies back in Buffalo, which we loved. You know, I thought that was really cool. Well, the founder of that is an alumni. Go ahead, Billy. No, no, no. What were you going to say? The founder what? The founder of Going South is an alumni. And we made a movie about his life being the deputy mayor. And and Louis, Louis was kind enough to do give us some uh, stories about him but that's awesome you you were almost gonna meet him down at the brick bar louis brought you down there then downtown buffalo I, it's so funny that you, you 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 took the words out of my mouth it made me remember that day we went to the brick bar and then we went to the there was another bar is it the anchor bar yeah, maybe yeah that's what chicken yeah, wings well, yes chicken, yeah. because we did the wings first but but that was my i want to say that uh very proudly and in a great tradition of blue collar worlds. Uh, that was the first bar we brought my son into and he got to play his first game of bar darts. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. I, mean, I think right around eight years old. <laughs> I, I, I got a picture of him and Lou. Oh, that's great. Oh, great. Yeah. A great picture of him and Lou tossing darts in the bar. So there you go. Corrupt them early. So they know where they come from. That's good. Yeah, that's great to bring it back. Uh, uh, and you actually are going to, an animation of you is going to appear in our new film, uh, Edgewood to Hollywood, that is about the uh, life I, of Louis Mastello. I, lo- I love it. He's my man. I, you know, I, all you got to do is ask Lou, what, all you got to do is say, what's wrong? And then let him go. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's all you got to do is say to Louis, Louis, what's wrong? I'll tell you, the fucking, if, if, if you say it's a dollar to a pound, <laughs> then it should be a fucking dollar to a pound. Don't fucking run the ad the next day at 79 cents. Well, Lou, I don't think they were thinking about it. I don't give a fuck. Like, all, right, okay, all, right, all right, I got to go. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like you talk about Anchor Bar, you, you have a little bit about chipped ham. I never heard of chipped ham. I heard about Pimani Brothers. What's, right. what's the chipped ham? Chipped ham is like uh, thinly sliced paper wafer thin ham. I don't know how it started back in Pittsburgh. I think it's like they just like the st- it's like stacking stacking the ham on the sandwich, so you get lots of layers, but it's super thin, almost melt in your mouth. Like they almost chip it is uh, like really. You ever had really thin chipped corned beef? Yeah, yeah. They kind of they kind of do that to a ham, and it's pretty delicious. Wow. Man. Yeah, they say that that's, Pittsburgh. That's, that's how you. That's how you get a girlish figure like mine. You yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they say that Pittsburgh just isn't the same anymore. It's kind of like how Buffalo it is. They kind of yup eat it up, and it's unrecognizable. Well, it, it, you know, I go back and forth with that because that's what saved the city. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think Pittsburgh's held on to enough of its soul that it still has enough mom and pop joints that were. That are that are still staples there, like like the real staples kind of survived. But but as you know, any blue collar cities took such a hit in the late seventies and and in the middle eighties that you know you had to find a way to become something else. Yeah, Pittsburgh evolved in the way of we had a smart mayor because at the time it was like, all right, the steel mills are closed, so now what do we do? He said, well, we got three colleges, we're going to become a college town. And from there, they went to they they built a big medical center to attract a good medical community. From there, they built a convention center to to 
to to bring conventions to Pittsburgh. Then they have they build a they build a relationship with films. They do four or five movies in Pittsburgh a year. So they've been very smart in 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 keeping evolving. You have to keep evolving. But I think they've held on to enough of 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 what it was that there's still some spots in Pittsburgh that have its its essence, its original blue collar working class essence. And and I think Buffalo has that too. But you oh, have yeah. to you have to keep you have to keep changing, man. You have to have to keep involving. They, you don't like it when you run into yuppies who, you know, they're down there with their little hipster beards, and <laughs> you know, it's because of them beers twelve bucks a cup. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if, if you just look like a working class guy, they're not charging you twelve bucks. You know, and and so, but you know, it comes with evolution. Every generation has that, but I, I think you have to keep evolving. So that your city can survive and get vital again, and and for the working class towns, that's been a that's been a tough road. Right, as long as you could still walk in and tell people to do their best, Mary and Cope, Myron Cope. Yeah, Myron Cope. Mm ha! Oi, I swam it, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, no, that, yeah. You know, you're always gonna have like there's a place in, in uh, at the end of my street. I took Lou there. It's called Augie Rocco's. That was our corner bar, you know. And uh, Augie's 74. He's still throwing guys out on a Friday night. You know what I mean? Love so it. there's still. There's still some semblance. Like you can get suspended from his bar. They still have those rules. Oh, like yeah. if you act like if you act like a jackass, you like you get suspended for a week. You're not allowed in for a week. Like they still have that stuff, which I love. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We have we have a, a famous sports announcer, uh, uh, Rick Jenneret, and you know it's going to be sad right. when he goes. You guys had Myron Cope, and that that probably was amazing. Oh, Kopey was, he was the, we used to turn the television broadcast on and turn him on the radio on the stereo so you could hear him instead of the broadcasters on TV. Because whatever, he would get so, he would get so excited, you didn't even know what the hell he was saying. <laughs> I just he wonder would just, if he was he, drunk. He, he would just, I don't care what it was, it was music to our ears. <laughs> yeah. He seemed to be as stressed out as we were. So we loved that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, we really loved them. So you you also got a great cast now with uh, Bob Hart's Abishola, like Christine Abersall. She's a Tony Award winner, and she sang in killer, like the second man. the second episode. She's singing a song or something. It was great. Yeah, she's a killer, man. She she really delivers, and you know um, the the young lady they got to play Abishola Falake, uh, her Olawafayeko is her last name, and she is English by Nigerian descent, and she is just as stoic and funny in that stoicism as i've ever seen and then we have great character actors barry shabaka's on the show and then we got some we got some folks that haven't had that opportunity yet and it's been fun to kind of let them know you know what's coming and, and how to go through this so i've been able to be i've been able to be bull durham a little bit on this set which like is nice it. because because i can offer hey no don't worry about that that's just something that freak you know don't worry about the, the numbers don't worry about this here's what's going to happen next here's how we go do upfronts. So i've been able to I've been able to help them like adjust into the next because I'd already gone through it with Mike and Molly. So I, I'm really enjoying this one because the first year of Mike and Molly, all you do is worry. Right. You know, are we, are we going to get a pilot? Are we, is the pilot going to get picked up? Are we going to get the back nine? Are we going to get a good time slot? Are we gonna, and what you learn is none of that matters. So I was able to say to this cast, look, that's going to happen no matter what we think or feel. But if we trust each other and we do the best show we can do, that's where it ends. That's where it ends with us. Right. You know, so if we're trusting each other and doing the best show we can, all that other stuff is out of our power. If it, if it happens, it happens. But let's focus on the work. Just focus on the work. 
And, and you know, I, I have one of the actors said to me, well, how do you know, you know, how do you know if you're doing starting to do bad? How do you know if you're starting to, I mean, will they tell us? And I said, it doesn't matter. Just do a good job. I said, here's how it works. When you pull into Warner Brothers in the morning and you give the guard your pass, if the gate goes up, we're doing good. <laughs> if, the, if the gate don't go up, well, then it's time to go look for a job again. So let's just let it all hang out on the stage. And it, it, it kind of, that atmosphere kind of grew, and I think it's helped us. Yeah, Shabaka's great. Is, is he the only one that doesn't have the Nigerian accent? or Is he the one that's playing it? No, I think he's he's playing it. Um, um, Shola, who plays his wife, and, and Falake, and Gina Yashere, who's a brilliant Nigerian comic, they have English accents, oh, but really? they can play play Nigerian because uh, that's their that's family that's family history. So they they all have Nigerian relatives. In fact, um, Gina bases her character on her mother, so that's what her mother sounded like. So so they're just they're, it's an eclectic group of actors, and it's it, the show I, I'm really proud of because it's it's just an act of kindness, man, and we need that right now, yeah, really, yeah. really badly. We need we need to laugh together. We need to connect. We need to learn about each other. And I, and I think this show provides that in a non-preachy way. So it I'm really, very proud of it. Really does. And it's the first time I ever seen uh, someone spark a joint right on that, you know, AB. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, right you know what? I got I got to tell you, I love the, the the kids that play my brother and sister, Matt Jones and Mary Beth. They're just. They're wonderful, man. They're super comedic, talented, and, and super great timing and just great people to be around again. I'm telling you, man, I've been so fortunate um, to land where I've landed to work with the people I've worked with. I've really, really, really been fortunate that way. Uh, great cast. You're all, it, It's great to hear, Billy, that you're now the mentor, that you, you've really seasoned not only as a comic and an actor, but as a, a great guy. A great human. Well, I, I, listen, man. I, I think it's 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 our job down here, man, to try to get people to become their best. And um, and when you're unafraid to do that, I think it lets everybody else be secure enough that they don't have to put on an act. And and when we get to that place, now we're actually doing something. You know what I mean? But somebody has to step out and go, look, man, I feel awkward. I'm scared. I don't know how the hell this is going to work out. <laughs> yeah. but, I'm, but, I, but I'm here for you. And when somebody puts that out there, when somebody reaches back, now you have a connection. Now you have a strong connection. And I think it's really important, you know. And, uh, you know, there was, look, there's many nights, man, where I was, you know, uh, the, Lou really helped me prepare for that Colonel Tom thing. I mean, we hadn't been on the air in Mike and Molly for two years. And, and I called him and I go, hey, man, I got this role. And I'm not sure how to go about this, man. And Lou was the first guy. Like he was like, get a notebook, write this guy's history. You know, get where he goes. Go to the wardrobe and get the shoes the guy has. Walk around in the shoes. Get his clothes right. Ground them to the floor. Get figure out how his body language were. Like he gave me so many grounding things. And then I called Rondi. Rondi and Lou, the woman who played my mom and Lou, are who I've gone to for acting advice probably more than anybody else in my career because they're just such consummate pros, man. And then, you know, with Rhonda, you get this wonderful acting lesson. Then with Lou, you get the acting lesson. And then it turns back to, you know, that fucking turkey. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, it's time to go. All right, buddy. I love you. I got to (laughs) go. Well, Billy, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Um, My pleasure. You're brilliant. You're the the most recognizable face in comedy, I think, in the last 10, 15 years. And uh, we. For, about that <laughs> yeah well like we do for all our guests billy gardell you are now licensed to talk thank you i love it man thanks for having me guys be thank safe. you